Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you've always wanted to visit the battlefields of Gallipoli, and if you're into military history, you really should do that, I've got a great opportunity for you. Coming up in September 2020, we've got the Matt McLaughlin Signature Tour. Now, this is a type of tour we launched in 2019, and basically it's the only tour that I personally escort. So in 2019, we went to the Western Front, and in 2020, we're going to Gallipoli. It's going to be absolutely extraordinary. We are going to walk the ground as the Anzacs did. And as a special bonus, it's not just going to be me escorting this tour. We are also going to have the one and only Mr. Peter Hart, the historian from the Imperial War Museum that you would know from past episodes of this podcast, one of our most popular contributors. He knows Gallipoli better than anyone else, so he and I are going to be escorting this very special tour. So it's going to be brilliant. We'd love to see you there. It's really limited. We're only going to have 20 or 25 passengers on this tour, uh, and it's been on sale for a couple of months, and it's selling really strongly, so there's not many places left. If you would love to explore Gallipoli in the company of two historians who know it and live the story of Gallipoli... There's no better opportunity. This is a unique tour. We're not going to run it again. If we do, it will be many years in the future. So don't miss this opportunity if you want to come to Gallipoli and walk the ground with us. So it departs on the 16th of September 2020 from Istanbul. We spent some time in Istanbul, and then we're going to head down to the peninsula and bring your walking shoes because we are going to get off the beaten track. There's hidden paths. There's trenches that have been revealed. We're going to walk the ridges and the gullies just like the Anzacs did, and we're going to get a unique perspective on this absolutely wonderful battlefield. I love Gallipoli. I can't wait to get back there. Come with me. Come on the Matt McLaughlin Signature Tour with the special guest Peter Hart. Departs, as I said, 16 September 2020 from Istanbul. For details, go to battlefields.com.au. A Living History Production. This is the Living History Podcast, broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of Living History and special because the roles are going to be reversed in this episode. I'm going to be answering the questions rather than asking them. There's a good mate of mine called Adam Bloom who is a young bloke who really embodies the spirit of remembrance that I think we hope that all young people have. And Adam's come on several tours with me to battlefields all over the world. And he's making a big effort to tell the stories of the Anzacs. And, and one of the ways he's doing that is is through his own channel. He's launching his own podcast about history. And he invited me to, be, to come on and be the first guest. So it was a real honor to sit down with Adam and answer some of his questions about my thoughts about the Anzacs and their legacy and why it's still important to Australia. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode of Living History. And uh, here's Adam to take you through the interview. Hello, everyone. Thanks for uh, watching. I've managed to get some time to catch up with a great mate and mentor of mine, uh, Matt McLaughlin, and I've spoken to you many times on my live uh, videos about Matt and his company and the battlefield tours that I've been on with him and I've managed to catch up with him. So here he is and welcome, Matt. Um, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. First <laughs> guest, I feel very privileged. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. It's very, it's, it's an honor to have you on. I'm, 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 I'm happy to have you on. Um, Mate, I just wanted to pretty much get into it and start with how did you get into military history and um, was it a passion that turned into an obsession? Yeah, that's um, that's exactly how I describe it, mate. It's um, my road to 
doing what I do. And I call myself a historian. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people in this space, um, you know, have various definitions of what a historian is. I call myself a historian because I hopefully bring history to life for people, but I'm not an academic historian. Um, so there's many of my learned friends that who've done wonderful things with PhDs and through universities that I haven't done. Um, but yeah, I've just always been a, you know, as, as you say, a passion, you know, an interest became a passion, which became an obsession. And I, I always knew for a long time that I had to do something in the history space. Um, and so I was working as a journalist, um, probably, oh gee, going back 15 or 20 years now. Um, showing my age. Um, I was working as a journalist, but just really obsessed with this idea of Aussies at, in times of war. Um, particularly on the Western Front, the the First World War Western Front battlefields were my first love, and so I was obsessed with getting over there. And then I was fortunate that I did get over to the battlefields and and um, got to explore the Western Front battlefields. Um, but what I found is I came home from that first trip and realized I'd get my history books out and realized that even though I'd walked the ground, I, I realised that if I'd kept going another 10 metres up that road, I would be on the site of, you know, the German trench line or where someone won a Victoria Cross or some fantastic chapter of history that I'd completely missed because, as you know, there's no signposts. It's very difficult to get around. Um, and so when I got back, I put a website together with itineraries so that people hopefully wouldn't make the same mistakes I did. Um, and that then led to my first book, which was Walking with the Anzacs, which is an expanded version of what I'd been doing on the website. Um, yeah, and that it, it really just went from there. About the same time, I was fortunate to make a documentary with the ABC called Lost in Flanders. And next thing I know, it was my career. So I, I call myself a battlefield historian, not a military historian, because I really leave the title military historian to, again, those learned colleagues from universities and institutions across the world. Um, but I call myself a battlefield historian because what I do is translate what I try to do at least with everything that I do is to translate what you read in a history book to what you will find on the ground. So that then and now journey is really important part of what I do. Yeah, right. So it sounds um, that's a great overview of, you know, of putting it into perspective for people and um, they can understand, you know, what you've, what you do and what you're about. And it's, it's good to see the difference between where you, it's, the battlefield historian to a military historian, I can see the difference, and it's I'm I'm in awe of your job of what you do. It's it's amazing, and I, I think, um, like you say, for the academics, it's great that you know they what they do is fantastic as as well, but what you do is also um, great as well. So I I think it's fantastic. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I mean, look, I I've always looked at it as. Um you know, there's room for everyone. Everyone's got a place to be, you know, yourself included. You know, this is something you're now doing, which is fantastic as well. Everyone's got opinions which are valid. And and I have to say, I've got lots of dear friends in the academic world and who work with universities and with the War Memorial and with all the great institutions around Australia and indeed around the world. Um, and they've all been very accepting of the job that I do. So I think, I think people recognise it. I think the the era of saying that only someone with 17 PhDs is allowed to speak on these topics doesn't exist anymore. I think social media um, and technology has played a big part in that. Again, what we're doing right now, we, we are here yep. discussing history. Lots of people are going to listen to this conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, we, um, because of that, I think it's, it's democratized history in a lot of ways, not just history or all fields, but I think in the history space in particular, um, the, the people now have a voice that they didn't have before. So that era of the sort of academic historian looking down their nose at anyone who didn't have a thousand PhDs, uh, I think is, is thankfully over. Um, and the, I have a huge respect for the, the academic historians. I could never do what they do, their, their commitment and the, the time and the effort they put into it and just their raw intelligence when you sit down with these people and their, their insights into history are just absolutely remarkable. So I have huge respect for the the, the, the academic historian world. Um, not a path that I uh, I embrace to uh, to get where I am. Um, but as I said, hopefully there's room for all of us. No, that's that's great. Um, was it was it always your dream to own a battlefields company? Did you did you set out to own a battlefields company, or was it was it a was it just a a, a dream, or just something that just happened? The, you mean in terms of the touring? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I can't. I can't say too many people sort of say one day I want to own a battlefield tour company. That's kind of a strange thing. Um, it it was an evolution, just as part of the journey, um, and. 
after you know after the book came out and the I did a few documentaries and second book and um I started to hopefully have a little bit of a reputation that I knew what I was talking about um and then it just really made sense to to think that people would perhaps want to come with me to the battlefields and I was fortunate as well that my family ran a small travel business so I had a lot of connections in that space um but really I just um I just wanted to walk the ground I just you know I thought it was a good opportunity for me to show other people what I'd discovered and you know there was also this element of me that said I can't afford to fly over to France as often as I would like to so this is a, another opportunity for me to get to go to the battlefields and just share my passion with people and but no I never could have imagined how well it's gone so um I always tell people that the first tour I think we had maybe this was in 2008 I think we had 34 passengers and then in 2009 we ran the same tour and I think we got about 50 passengers that time so I thought oh wow that's a big improvement and then we added a few other tours and did a few other things and in 2010 we had 600 passengers that came with us so um I realized then that we had something um you know that was probably working pretty well um and I've been very fortunate you know I don't lead many tours myself these days there's a great team of historians that walk the ground they do a far better job than I could ever do <laughs> Uh, around the battlefields, and um, I'm just really privileged that I get to show so many people the story of the Anzacs and walk the ground. It's by far the most fulfilling part of what I do is is whether I'm leading someone on a tour or speaking to people who've been on one of the tours is just to hear about their experience, and it's um it's a real privilege. Ah, uh, that's it. I, I believe it's um something that you your um battlefield company does really well. Um, you've put a great team together and. Um, all the blokes that you, or, and, um, Joe Hook and all the, all the women that are with you as well. You, your team is amazing. They, they really, all aspects of, um, the tour are covered on your, on your battlefields. And, and I think it's a, I think every Australian, if they get the opportunity, um, they need to go on a tour with you. I think I, I'm a big, promoter of your company and i and i'm saying i'm not saying this as a sales pitch so let's let's, uh, (laughs) this is matt's not paying me to say that um it's it's just i believe that matt's company is the best battlefields company that you will tour with there's i um maybe i'm biased maybe i'm not i don't know but um i've been on six tours with matt and i can't um i can't fault them mate they're they're terrific so thanks mate i appreciate that i mean it's um you know, it's obviously not, uh, it's certainly not all my work. There's a great team. And as you say, some of those historians you mentioned, we've got, you know, Pete Smith and John Anderson and Joe Hook and people all around the world. We've got a brilliant team of historians that travel with us. And that's the important aspect of the tours. And, you know, I am very aware of the obligation that I have to make these trips, trips of a lifetime, because they are trips of a lifetime. And it's a huge responsibility we have. If someone's following in the footsteps of their grandfather who was killed in the war, you know, to, this is what we, we get. We have we have people we take to Vietnam whose fathers were killed in the war and we're taking them to Vietnam to walk the ground where he fought and died. That's an incredible responsibility. And so we are extremely aware of that. And it's all about people. The study of history is a study of people. That's what it's all about. It's not about ancient buildings or ground or anything else. It's a study of people. Um, and we work very hard on on those relationships with our historians, with the passengers that come on our tours, with the blokes themselves, the Anzacs who walk that ground. It's about it's about remembering people. It's about making connections with people. Um, and that's, that's what we prioritise. So I, I would never do this if I didn't think that we could deliver that trip of a lifetime for people. Um, but I tell you what, mate, if all of our passengers were as engaged as you are... <laughs> Um, it would be a, a good world because uh, we need we need, we need more people like you, mate, getting out there and uh, banging the drum. It's great. Ah, uh, that's yeah, you're too kind to me, mate. That's um, yeah, no, I I I think I'm I'm thankful for that too. So, and of all your of all your studies of World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and the recent conflicts, uh, which war do you find most fascinating? It's a good question, mate. I it's one I get asked, you know, from time to time. And the the simple answer is whatever I'm studying at the moment because I, I have a short attention span, so I'm I'm always looking for something new. Um, the Western Front, World War One, is always my was my first love. It's it's always the battlefield that I am drawn to. The stories, you know, from Pozier and Mont Saint Quentin and Passchendaele, and it's just it's a, it's an epic of tragedy and despair and glory and heartbreak and everything. So the Western Front is is always one for me. It was also overlooked for a long time when I was first getting really fascinated by this history um most people didn't know 
much at all about the Western Front. It was all about Gallipoli. Uh, so I, I always am drawn back to the Western Front. Um, but having said that, Gallipoli deserves its place as the iconic Australian battlefield that it is. Anyone who hasn't gone to Gallipoli should absolutely go because it's remarkable to stand on that. You know, the terrain was as big an enemy as the, as the Turks and it's still exactly the same. So it's just an extraordinary battlefield, probably unique in the world, Gallipoli. Um, but, you know, there's a whole... You know, there's never been a battlefield I've been to that I haven't been fascinated. A few years ago, I did. Um, I went to Little Bighorn, Custer's Last Stand, and walked the, walked the ground there. That was an incredible battlefield, amazing. I visited probably only a dozen of the several thousand American Civil War battlefields, and they're all incredible. I mean, the Americans do it better than anyone in terms of infrastructure and um, interpretive panels to help you understand the way the battlefields have been preserved. The Americans do it brilliantly. Um, so those are fascinating. I'm looking forward to getting over and seeing more of those battlefields. You know, every battlefield I've ever been to. I've been to ancient battlefields in Europe. I've been to Korea and Vietnam is amazing, even though there's nothing really much to see from the Vietnam War because it was all fought in jungles, but it's still an incredible um, connection with that history. There's lots of artifacts. There's lots of helicopters still around and, and bits and pieces, machinery from the war. So no, I'm, I mean I'm giving you a long answer to a simple question, but the, the the probably the simplest answer is they're all fascinating. There's no battlefield that I've studied or walked that I haven't found absolutely incredible. It's a the study of war is um, very engaging. It's the, the what goes on on a battlefield is is humanity at its rawest, and um, I, I I always connect with that whenever I go to a battlefield. So I'm absolutely obsessed with them all. I think that uh, I think you've answered in. With you saying that it was a long uh, answer, I think you've answered that um, really well, and I think it's um, I think you're right. In I've I've walked um, a few battlefields now myself, and I, I I find every time I go back, I, I got asked it was it was interesting um, on my last tour. It was actually with you. I got asked from a, um, a freelance journalist why I keep coming back to the um, to the battlefields. And he said, what don't you understand about the story? And I said, well, there's nothing I don't understand. I just love walking that ground and find, and there was things that I did on the last tour with you that I, I hadn't done before. So every time I go um, back, it's a different purpose. So I think you've answered it um, in, in, a, in absolute perfect because it's, and I, I find, and you found as well, the battlefields on the Western Front, they change. They evolve from season to season. You know, uh, when you go in April, it's different to when you go in September when the, when the crops have been um, ploughed and, and you can actually walk through where the crops were. It's different in April when the crops are in, when they're in their, um, when they're flowering and you can't walk in, um, through the, through the paddocks. I think it's. I think it's. I think you've answered that question really well. I don't think you could have answered it any better. So oh, thanks, mate. I mean, you're right. What you say as well. It's it's a fascinating um, sort of situation where the history remains the same. Nothing. I say this all the time. Nothing new is going to be written about the First World War. It happened a hundred years ago. Well, not nothing new is going to be written. We're always finding out new things, but the history is not going to change. It was a hundred years ago. Whatever happened, happened. It's now fixed, and it's for us to try and work it out and interpret it. But there's always new stories. So our understanding, the, the war itself will never change. That's, that's carved in the pages of history. But um, there's always new stories for us to discover, new interpretations to make. And you're right, even the, even the landscape itself. I, I, you know, we were there in September and I can't, I don't think I've ever actually been to the Western Front in September. Of all the times I've been there, I think that was the first time I've been in September. And I'll tell you what, I'll never go at any other time. It was yeah. fantastic. The weather was great. As you say, there weren't any crops in the field, so you could get a good lay of the land, walk around and get a better feeling for what went on. It was, um, yeah, a great time to be there. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It was, it was a really, um, after being there in April, uh, the previous year for Anzac Day, um, and being there in September with you, uh, we couldn't have picked a better time. I think it was, it was, fa it was fantastic. And, um, you really, uh, for the audience, you really got to see a, um, when we, when we went into the valleys and you saw, um, you saw the, you actually could see, um, the valleys from, standing on the ground as in april the previous year i didn't even know it was a because of the crops i couldn't even tell i thought it was just a hill that continued so it was it was an amazing experience to be there 
and I will definitely be going back in September. I think that's the perfect time to go to the Western Front. I, th- I think it. Uh, I think Matt and I had a little joke that uh, it. I think um, all all Western Front tours should be around September. So <laughs> it is a good time, and you're right. What you say that terrain is the most important part of the story. You know, we. I mean, it's the big imponderable question: Why do we visit battlefields? Why do we engage with the history by walking the ground? And the terrain and the climate are a really important part of that. And so being able to see those valleys, you know, we saw the remains of trenches that I didn't even know were there because there was no crops in the field and, the you know, the fields were open and just the vagrancies of weather and climate and you could just you could just see what was going on and um, absolutely fantastic. You know, I yeah. thought it was great to be there. But that's the important thing. It is important to walk that ground and wars are fought on foot. You know, men cross fields and in their many thousands and wars are fought on foot across the ground. So you, you, you can't get a good feeling for a battlefield by just driving in your car or... Um, you know, or not getting off the bus. So yeah, getting out walking the ground is always essential to uh, understanding a battlefield. Absolutely, absolutely. Of of all the battlefields that you've walked, what is the most emotional battlefield that you've been on? I know that's a pretty hard question to uh, throw at you and um, like because the, the Western Front has its significance to your heart. Um, but of all the battlefields, what's been the most emotional um, that you've been on? Yeah, it's been a couple. Um, Long Tan in Vietnam is always, um, there's just something about that battlefield. It's a tiny battlefield. There's nothing, there's, there's no signs of the battle anymore. It was a battle that was fought for three or four hours on one afternoon. So there's nothing, it's not like going to the Western Front or Gallipoli where you're going to be seeing trenches and, you know, machine gun positions. But um, it's it's always got a feeling about it. I mean, um, oh well, Fromel in France, you know, the... Australia's bloodiest 24 hours that's always um very emotional but there's there's other battlefields I've been to that has really struck me that you feel like you're walking with the ghosts um there's one uh, in America called um um Malvern Hill um which was a civil war battlefield that's um that that has a real feeling that you you're walking with ghosts where a lot of confederate soldiers were were killed and you do have that very strong feeling there that you're walking with the ghosts of the dead so I think you find all of them have some sort of aura about them but the element that is always the most emotional is the cemeteries. When you go to those battlefields like the Western Front or Gallipoli or, um, you know, any of these places or the World War II battlefields, um, when you go to those battlefields where there are cemeteries, military cemeteries, where the men who were killed in those fields now lie, that's incredibly overwhelming. And especially the Commonwealth War cemeteries, um, because of the lengths they go to to remember the individuals, the, 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 the name of the soldier, where he comes from, his age, often. Um, and then, of course, the inscription from the family, a personal message from the family to their lost son. It's um, it's heartbreaking. It's rewarding. It, it is a real connection. You, you want to talk about tangibles when you visit a battlefield. What can I connect with that is left over from the war so that I can relate to the history? Well, there's nothing more tangible than the bodies of the men killed in those actions. And often you go to battlefields and that's the only reminder that there was ever fighting there is, is the cemeteries. So in terms of pure emotion... Um, there's nothing like walking through those cemeteries. And they, for you and for me, they're like silent cities, aren't they? They they are very, um, and it's, you could spend hours upon, or you could almost spend days just walking through cemeteries and it's, it they they really, they I, I feel, and, and you also for you, um, they sort of, they, they show the cost of war and what it what it cost, um, especially to our nation, Australia, and not just and just what that first world war was like and the the global the globalization of the of the first world war. You 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 really see it through. You know you you have I've you and I have both seen. You can have an you can have an Australian soldier. You can have a South African. You can have an Irish. Um, you know, um, a British soldier, and it just—you really get the scale when you walk through those cemeteries. Is that how you you see it as well? Or? Yeah, that's that's the word. That's the key word. Scale. The the cemeteries give you an idea. You can read as many books as you like about the Battle of Passchendaele and how horrific it was and how many men died, but nothing prepares you for standing in Tynecott Cemetery, the world's largest Commonwealth cemetery, and seeing more than twelve thousand graves laid out in front of you it really gives you an impression of the scale you can't comprehend it you can never comprehend you, I, I always try to to focus and say matt remember that this each of these headstones is a lost family member every every one of these headstones represents dozens of grieving people at home every one of them 
Um, and it, it, you can't get your head around the scale. But as you say, the variety as well. That it's it's absolutely fascinating to walk through a military cemetery. Just um, you know, just just soaking it in the, the different ranks, the different stories that they tell. There's always interesting little stories that that usually aren't revealed by the headstone, but they just give you a clue that something unusual is going on. Why would that man be serving with that unit? Why was he? Why is everyone here killed in 1916 except for him? And he he was killed in 1918. How did he end up in the cemetery? Oh, that's a very unusual rank. Oh, he was serving. He's a British officer, but he was serving with the Australian forces. I wonder how that happened. Um, so there's always these little stories. And, and part of what I love doing is then taking a photo of that headstone and going home and trying to solve the, the little mystery. Having said that, I've got a phone absolutely chock-a-block with pictures of headstones from every visit I've done to the battlefields where I've never even gotten close to getting around <laughs> and trying to solve those little mysteries. But um, it's it's a really rewarding part of a visit. Yeah, it's. Um, I I remember in September when we when we did um, when we were on your tour, your signature tour, and we actually um, completed uh, a family journey, and I actually got to see uh, my great great uncle's grave, and that was for us that it started at Gallipoli um, four years pr- previous, and it it finished um on the west on the western front and in front of uh dad and i actually got to see our great great more well, my great great uncle's grave and dad's great uncle and we were the first in the family in 103 years and to do that with you was very special and i and i'm forever thankful for you and pete smith taking the time to um come out with us and and have that have that time with our relative and i i think it leads me into my next Next question to you, and I've, I've, as I said, I've walked the battlefields with you. And do you feel a sense of pride when you walk the battlefields with people who are coming on your tours and trying to find out more about their relatives and where they served during the First World War? Do you, do you, and if they did serve and die on on the Western Front, and you know they've actually they've been they're very lucky to have a, a known grave. Is that a sense of pride for you that you're completing that um, pilgrimage for their original descendants? Do yeah, you? absolutely. That's by far the most rewarding part of anything I do. If someone's got a family member and and I, you know, have the privilege of taking them to that grave is astonishing, and the emotional reaction you get from people even after a century, you know, with someone who died, you know, fifty or sixty years before they were even born, in lots of cases, um, it's it's remarkable to to stand there. So no, that's a that's a great privilege and it's something that we think is very important as part of the tour company it's something i think is very important through all the media work that i do is 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 connecting people to that family history so we did on my um podcast on living history podcast we did a great interview uh, a couple of weeks ago um with um adam holloway about a book he'd just written um called duty nobly done about 14 members of his family who served on the during the first world war um, that's highly unusual, I think, to have that many family members. Although, although the, I know the Blooms have got several as well. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's just really rewarding to um, to to learn about those stories and then to take people to the graves, if if that's possible, to a grave or a memorial, to to help them make that connection. And I, I've had that experience myself. I have relatives buried over there. My probably my closest relative is my great uncle, so my grandfather's brother was killed in the Second World War. He was in Bomber Command and he was killed in 1943 and is buried in the UK. So he was a flight sergeant and was killed when his aircraft crashed during a bombing raid. Um, And I visited his grave for the first time a few years ago in the north of England and um, I was overwhelmed. I was so emotional when I went there. Part of the reason was that the family inscription um, listed his brothers and sisters, including my grandfather. And so seeing my grandfather's name on his headstone was a very emotional moment, but I was very teary and quite overwhelmed. Um... So I, I understand how it affects people even after all these years. I mean, it's, 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 it's a different type of grief. We should remember that these cemeteries and these memorials were built for the families of the men that were killed so they could go and grieve. Um, so we should be honest about it. It's a different type of grief for us. I'm, I'm not going to have the same connection with my great uncle who I never met as his brothers and sisters and parents obviously had. So I think we, we you know, without being offensive to people, sometimes we do overplay it a little bit. But it still is important to families. It still is very important even after all this time. And it was very emotional for me. And it was, uh, you know, it, it meant a lot to my family. My grandfather always had a picture of his brother on his desk. And um, it, it's it's important to keep those family connections alive. And, 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 and that's one of the main reasons we do what we do is is to tell those stories, help people find those stories in the first place 
and then, yeah, if I have the rare privilege of actually walking the ground like I did with you to take you to a grave, it's absolutely remarkable. I think for you too, and um, I'm glad you brought that up about your um, family uh, connection with the loss. I think it's for, for you, you feel a sense of loss as well and you know what they, what the people on your tour what they're doing, you know, and, and why they've, why they've, um, gone so far and traveled so, so far and so long to, to fulfill some, it's a pilgrimage for, for them. It's a pilgrimage for you. It was a pilgrimage, you know, for, and I think it's, it's great that, um, you don't, you show emotion because it's, 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 it's emotional for those families. And I think for you, it's, uh, you have to show emotion for those people because otherwise it's just I'm here just to make sales and make money. But it's not it's for you, and I I know that's for your team as well. They're not about they're not about that. It's it's about the personal connections and and once I've well, once you've travelled with Matt, I feel that you become part of the family and and I I that's how I felt. And now I'm sitting down with you. It's we've become really great mates over the years, and it's. I feel that it's you do it very well, mate. You 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 guys are really good at what you do. Well, thank you, mate. I mean, I don't think anyone should be involved in history and um, especially touring unless they understand that that it's about families and walking the ground and all that sort of thing. Um, I tell you what, none of us would be doing this job if it was about money and sales <laughs> because um, you know how do you make a how do you make a small fortune in the travel industry? Start with a large one. Um, so no, it's 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 not about that. It's about um, as I said, those family connections, I love it. I, I, I feel I feel a great sense of gratitude every time someone contacts me to say I listened to a podcast or I saw a video that you're in or I went on a tour. Um, and people do reach out and it's wonderful. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, I'm a war nerd who grew up in West Wyalong, you know, dreaming about visiting the battlefields one day and just started doing it because I loved it. And now the fact that I... You know, every year I communicate with thousands of people about that they're doing it as well, and I've helped them do it. is is an absolute privilege, and you know, I'll it always helps me get out of bed in the morning, and um, I absolutely love it. It's the yeah. best part of the job. No, that's that's um, that's the best thing. That if 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 you love what you do, it's not a job. So, um, which leads me into my next question to you: um, Do you feel that the younger generations understand what? Um, the men and women sacrificed during wartime. Um, do you feel that the 21st generation is, like my generation, is understanding what um, what their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers did and their great-grandmothers did before them? Um, it's a great question and it's a very complicated answer and we'd probably take up, you know, a whole other podcast episode just talking about it, but maybe that's a, that's a note for a future episode. But um, it's... Um, it's a great question. Okay, I'll, I'll break it down into a few different parts. Firstly, in Australia, we are incredibly fortunate that young people engage with Anzac history as much as they do. I mean, in other places around the world, in America, in the UK, in Canada, even New Zealand to an extent, the real and genuine concern is that as older people start to pass away, we're going to lose this connection with history, that young people just don't care about it. That is the case in America. That is the case in the UK. That is the case in other countries around the world. Australia is unique that we have young people engaging so strongly with Anzac history. And it's wonderful, and I will never say a bad word about that. It's incredible. We're we're very, very lucky. We've got to be careful, though, about that. There's There's a couple of points to it. The first point is we have to make sure that if people are engaging with the history, that they're engaging in the right way. And what I mean by that is that one of the reasons I think that young people engage so strongly with these wars is they didn't have to live through the aftermath. So we've lived in an unprecedented period of peace, notwithstanding wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and things that go on, which are mostly fought by our wonderful professional military people. We have not had a big war that involved civilians being conscripted or enlisting and going off and fighting overseas for a long time. It'll be unlikely that we will at any stage in the future. That's a wonderful thing. We live in a peaceful time, and what that means is young people have no first-hand experience of war. Previous generations grew up either serving in wars themselves, there was a high likelihood they would go off and fight in a war, or at the very least they would see their father come home from a war angry. Um, And so young people don't have to live through that. They don't have to live through the aftermath, and there is a big aftermath of these wars. 
if you look at any study of Australian society, it's you know the the, the rifts that these big wars caused throughout the decades are unbelievable. So it's a wonderful thing that young people don't have to live through that. But what what we then have to do is make sure that their understanding of why this is important, of what went on, the reasons that we should remember, we have to make sure they're grounded in fact and honesty and open discussion. And there is a danger that I'm well aware of um, that the story of Anzac becomes completely two-dimensional, that it all becomes Australia won the war, you know, the Japanese were going to invade in World War Two, and we stopped them at Kokoda and all these things. Now, there's, there's elements of truth in all this stuff. There's absolutely elements of truth, but it's not the whole story. We, no. we have to make sure that we understand the whole story and we have to keep asking questions. And now that the veterans are passing away, the World War One guys are all gone. We're not far away. We're only a few years away from losing the last World War Two veteran. The Vietnam veterans are now in their 70s. We're losing these generations. And when there's no one around to tell the first-hand stories, we have an obligation to ask more questions. Because if we don't, you know, we're never going to understand what they went through. We're not going to understand what it was like to put on the wool uniform and land on the beaches of Gallipoli. We are never going to understand that. The only people that can are long gone. So we do them a disservice if we then turn them into cardboard heroes and, and say that they were all just blokes from the bush that wanted to go out and... Do no, their bit and come home to their girlfriend and all that stuff. You know, as I said, there are elements of it. I'm not saying we should dismiss that, but it's absolutely not the whole story. So that's something I'm very big on is if you are someone who wants to engage with history, wonderful. Welcome. It's fantastic. But know the story. Read about it. You know, don't take everything at face value. Don't rely just on movies and, and, and articles you just read in the newspaper. Um, dig a bit deeper. The other thing I'd say as well is I think there's a slight... Um, there's a slight misunderstanding in Australia of how engaged young people are. We are, compared to other countries, very highly engaged, relatively speaking, but it still doesn't mean that to your average 19-year-old they have any interest whatsoever in the story of Gallipoli or, or Passchendaele. And to be honest, neither should they. Why, you know, why a century after the fact are we insisting that you know what came before? I'd love it if every young person out there had you know, an interest in this stuff and wanted to know more about it. But there's a reality as well. This is a long time ago. It's a very long time ago. And I think it's unrealistic to expect young people to engage with this as strongly as perhaps previous generations have. Um, so it's a question of balance. It's a question of it's important they know about it and that they can find information out about it if they're interested. And hopefully we can pique their interest. But it's a challenge. We We have to be always reaching out to young people and, and, and trying to engage them. And if and if they're not engaged in it, you know, people are all very different. Young people are – some young people are into football and some aren't. Some like cooking and some don't. You know, people are individuals and they're young people, as were the soldiers of the time. So we've also got to be not too precious about it not too – and not too worried if young people don't seem to care that much as much as we'd like them to. You know, I, I think young people get a bad rap in, in a lot of these areas. I think we should be grateful for that, that so many of them do engage. And, and not too offended with the ones that don't. That's uh, you've answered that. Actually, I don't think I could have put that any better myself. That that's that's a. It's a very. It's a. I threw that question in there, and I I because I thought it would be a, a. I thought it would be a challenging question, but you've answered. You've actually answered that better than what I thought. So, Matt, well, thanks, but look, I think I think we have. Um, I think we overplay. I don't want to be offensive to anyone, but I think we do overplay how important Anzac is to Australians. It is. It's very important to me, and it's very important to you, yep. and to lots of Australians, many millions of Australians. It's very important. But the the vast majority of Australians are either thinking about the story of Anzac not at all during their year, or briefly on Anzac Day and Remembrance Day, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we we can't force people to take on a mindset if, if it's just not of interest to them. They should always show respect. I mean, everyone should. You know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of, you know, areas of life where you should show respect. You should show respect to police officers. You should show respect to people who serve in the military, to your teachers, to, you know. There's, there's many parts of society that you should certainly show respect for and have some sort of understanding of why we show that respect. Um, but I think we overplay it in, in many ways. I You know, I think I think that there is a group of us who are, absolutely dedicated to making sure this memory never dies and that's wonderful and you know we will keep doing research and we'll keep producing content and 
we'll keep telling these stories. Um, but I don't think it's fair on the average person in the street if they don't have an interest in Anzac history to kind of force it down their throat at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, I think you're right, and it's sort of the next question I was going to ask you is it. It's a little. You've pretty much answered. Um, I'll ask it anyway, but you've you've answered that question in your previous question. So, um, do you feel the modern generation is being taught about um, our Australian war history in school, or do you think it's um, something that needs to be looked at? Or yeah, yes and no. I'm 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 not I'm not particularly au fait with the current curriculum and it's different in every state um and it changes quite often you know sometimes world war one will be in the curriculum and sometimes it's out again look i think they i think teachers do a remarkable job i've always have huge admiration for teachers and i think i think australia's education system is great it's got its flaws like every everything but um i think generally you know you just got to look at the you've just got to look at the turnout on anzac day and the you know i've got i've got kids now that are young teenagers and um, I'm always amazed that they, you know, that they are interested in it. They, are, you know, if they do a chapter on Gallipoli, you know, as part of their curriculum, they spend a term studying Gallipoli. They are really interested in it. And they're really engaged. Um, you know, they do Anzac Day services, and my young bloke was vice captain of his school, so he was there, you know, raising the flag on Anzac Day and Remembrance Day. I think it's great. So I think, and I think compared to other places in the world, Australia has an overload of interest from young people in these topics I, I think again at the same time you know my daughter was very interested when they studied the first world war in her history class but she was also very interested when they studied jack the ripper um so you know it's it's that's life it's young people are going to be engaged briefly short attention spans again um and we have to be thankful for that compared to other places in the world australia does place a strong emphasis on it look at the you know expansion of the war memorial and the you know the building of the john monash center at Villas Bretno, topics that we could probably discuss in more detail, but yes. um, <laughs> um, uh, maybe a future podcast. Yeah, maybe a but, couple of <laughs> you know. So I think Australians should be very grateful for the amount of effort we spend to make sure the memory of the Anzacs is is preserved. And and I do see that in young people. Um, school system gets a bit of a bag in that we don't teach enough, but I think compared to other countries in the world, we teach a heck of a lot of stuff about. Um, military history and particularly Australian military history maybe too far sometimes we spend too much time talking just about Australia's achievements um, so no I'm not worried about the future and I'm not worried if the Anzac legacy is going to tarnish over time I think I think it's probably in pretty safe hands with young people no that's that's very um, what you've said that's that's I think most of or if not that's the pretty much the sense and the feeling that I get and when I speak to young people who I know, um, I pretty much get that same sense that they, they, they are proud of what, what their forefathers did for them. Um, but it's not necessarily on their, you know, it's not their main thing that they, it's not their, the pinnacle of, you know, they, they, yes, they, they go to Anzac Day services, they, they do, um, and they show respect. But, you know, for them, they'd rather go and chase, chase a ball in a park. I, you know, there's, like you've said, it's. I think we're in in the future. We could, we will be in safe hands. And but I think also too, um, like yourself and and me and others, um, we have um, we have we've got to keep the Anzac story going. You know, we we should never forget what those men and women sacrificed. And also. Um, if if it's if anything that I can give to my audience and and anyone who you speak to on a podcast is go and walk the ground. If if you you know we talk about it and you can, it's one thing to read it in a book, but it's another thing. And Matt, you'll agree with me. It's another thing to actually walk the ground and 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 follow in the footsteps of the men who went before us. And yeah, I, I think it's. You're raising a good point about engagement with this and, and walking the ground is the, the, the strongest way to engage with the history. But I think the, the big challenge that we all have is Australia is changing. There's, there's no question about that. The nature of what it means to be Australian is changing rapidly and quite remarkably. And I don't think you and I actually have a good perspective on that because we are the core demographic for Anzac Remembrance because Anzac Remembrance is predominantly male it's that there are more men than women who engage with this probably because there were more males that obviously served in wartime it is overwhelmingly anglo-saxon um you know caucasian white australians this is our story you know our story of 
empire and imperialism and Australia doing its bit on the world stage and blokes called Smith and Anderson and Johnson going off and doing the right thing. Um, there's a question of how do we continue in the future to engage? And we talked about young people. A large proportion of those young people are going to be from immigrant families. Um, there's a great irony that a lot of that immigration was caused by the wars we are now remembering. You know, a lot of <laughs> absolutely. You know, we yeah. have a lot of uh, people of Vietnamese heritage in Australia caused because of the war in Vietnam. Um, and I'm not talking about politics here. Whether you think we should be involved or not in the war is, is not my point. My point is that the war itself is what caused a lot of these refugees that have now become, uh, you know, very valuable citizens of Australia. So I can't imagine that someone who's parents fled South Vietnam in 1975 on a boat and nearly died desperate to get to Australia and then struggled here as a refugee family. I can't imagine that they're going to go down on Anzac Day and, and understand why we're talking about soldiers storming the beach at Gallipoli. And neither should they. You know, we, we have to find a relevance for those people. We have to find for people who fled conflicts in the Middle East and have come here as refugees or not even just refugees, but people who have just moved here because it's a great place to live. Um, but if they're from an Asian background or Eastern European or South American, um, what what relevance are they going to see in the story of Passchendaele? Uh, they they certainly could. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think I don't think it's impossible to get them engaged because most of these people are you know very engaged with the story of Australia and want to be good Australians, um, more so than many of us who were born here in many cases. But the question is, it's it's a question that we haven't answered. Should they be engaged with this history, or is that a pipe dream? Um, and if 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 we feel that there is potential for them to be engaged with this history, which of course is their choice, we can't force it on them. But if newer Australians um, do feel that they want to relate to this history more, how do we make it accessible to them? They're not they're not going to respond emotionally to the story of George Anderson on a beach at Gallipoli, a place they've never heard of. They're, they're just not going to. It's it's unrealistic to expect them to. So we do have a challenge when it comes to the the future of remembrance. Is how do we keep people engaged as Australia changes in the in the ways that it is. And, you know, there's no answer to that question. And it may well be that in the future it's just not as important as it has been to previous generations. But um, we'll wait and see. Yeah, that's very, very true. And it, it leads me to ask you, um, well, you've, you've actually answered my next question really well too. So um, do we as a nation remember the sacrifice of the Anzacs from World War One, um, and are they being remembered a hundred years on? And will it continue into the future? Do you what What do you think of that? Yeah, there's no question they are being remembered massively. And um, to get a little bit controversial again, I'm you know I'm someone who loves Anzac history and that these got these blokes are remembered. But even for me, I'm asking the question: Are we going a little bit too far? You know, uh, is is the deification of the original Anzacs clouding our perception of other things that have gone on. And that's a question we should always ask. I would never, ever suggest that they shouldn't be remembered. But if the remembrance of particularly the First World War blokes and particularly Gallipoli, if our remembrance of that becomes so dominant that it there's no room for anything else, I don't think we're doing a, you know, a, a justice to millions of other people that have contributed, not just military. I mean, it's, it's a problem in the military. It's a problem that people who served in you know, as peacekeepers or in the Malayan confrontation or Korea, you know, feel that they, they get overlooked. But, you know, there's so many aspects of Australian history that, that get overlooked. And, you know, the work that I do, um, you know, it's called living history. And I would love to do more than just military history. I, I love military history and always will. There'll always be a very solid base of everything that I do. Um, but I get frustrated that people are not interested in other chapters of history in Australia. And I'll do a podcast on you know, the early colonies or oh, don't even get me started on Aboriginal history, which very few people have an interest in. But, you know, even stuff that I think convicts and those things that you'd think would be really exciting to people, I just see the downloads on the podcast just plummet when you do a, a topic like that. Um, there is a real focus in Australia on military history as the only part of our history that, that is, is worth remembering. And um, you see it in, um, you know, the again, without being controversial, but the, the development of the Australian War Memorial, $500 million dollars, for that institution when other institutions are struggling, even institutions that do a great job of telling the story of the Anzacs, the best example being the National Archives. The National Archives has 
the most important connection with these soldiers. They've got recordings from these soldiers. They've got their personal records, all their letters that they wrote home. The National Archives has an incredible collection. But who knows that about relates. it? You know, like- and they're struggling for funding. They're having to put people off. They're cancelling programs and exhibitions because they can't get funding for them. And yet the War Memorial, because of what it is, um, you know, gets $500 million for an expansion. So, again, I'm straying into sort of controversial territory here, but I, I think it is a little bit skewed. I think it is a little bit... The word Anzac wins a lot of political points. Therefore, the people with the purse strings, the politicians, are always going to get on board with anything to do with Anzac. And I think there is a genuine danger. And it's ironic. I'm saying it as part of the problem. I'm, you know, I'm pushing the story of Anzac more than anyone. But I do feel that we would benefit from refocusing and just just acknowledging that what the original Anzacs did was very, very important in our history, but also there are other things that went on. It's not the it's not the beginning and the end of the story. So well as I said, I'm probably getting a bit controversial now, but I, I always encourage people to have an open mind and to ask questions and to, to not take things at face value. And I think that's one of them. I think go to Anzac Day and remember the Anzacs, that's fantastic. But also you know, find out a bit more about what went on. Go as you say, and as you've said to me in in um, pubs, go deeper. Go yeah. actually, you know, go into the story and actually look up the story and actually and actually see. You know, it's not just you know you go walk a tour and you, a lot of people, if that's all they can do, that's that's terrific. Like that's fantastic, but. I really feel that a lot of people, um, once they do do a tour, they actually want to come back and they actually want to dig into the history of the 34th Battalion or, you know, they, they want to see, um, you know, they want to read up on the story from Mel or Passchendaele or, you know, um, Poziers. And I, I think what it is, I think that last question that I, that I asked you, I think you answered that. Not controversially, I think you, I think you did a real, I think you did a justice in that you're right in that I think that the, it's, it's a shame that the, that the National Archives, they're having to put people off and yet at the, at the War Memorial, they're, they're moving forward and, you know, I think if we're not careful, we may, I, I hope and I hope you as well, I, I hope that we we don't see. I I I don't think it will ever happen. But I hope that we don't see the national archives closed because that, as you say, it's it's a it's a treasure that we need to keep in in order to have the first world war records and the second. And you know, um, I think the the war memorial is is great, and all war memorials are fantastic. But also, too, we need to remember. Places like State Library, um, places like the Nas- National Archives, and I think um, if we can get it out there more for people to go and visit the National Archives, and and I, th- I feel that that is a um, if we can do that, then maybe we can justify you know um, the money being spent at the War Memorial, and yeah, I think you know. Um, that's just my thought. You know, what what are you? Yeah, I think it's a question of priority. I think um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's ever any danger that we won't have those great institutions that you talked about. But there is a, there's perhaps too much focus on the moment at the moment on, um, you know, on the, the potentially the War Memorial and Anzac and, and all these things. Particularly after the centenary years, the amount of money we've spent over the four years of the centenary was astronomical. Um, Again, there's part of me that loves it because I've grown up wanting more people to know about it. But at the same time, there's wonderful stories, wonderful Australian stories that that, that aren't getting told because they're getting crowded out um, by Anzacs. So it's just a question of balance. It's a question of balance. Respect the Anzacs. Remember what they did. Honour their memory, but not at the expense of everything else. Yeah, that's right. Um, So do you feel um, that Remembrance Day takes a little brother role to Anzac Day? And should, should we... Uh, be recognising Remembrance Day as we do Anzac Day? Do you... Um, I think there's no question it's the poor cousin to Anzac Day. Anzac Day is a public holiday. Remembrance Day isn't. Um, but no, I think it's the way it should be. Anzac Day existed from 1916. They, Anzac Day was first celebrated, commemorated in 1916, a year after Gallipoli. Um, so Anzac Day from the very start uh, had a very strong place um, in the Australian psyche and... Even though Remembrance Day has more importance overseas, particularly in the UK and the USA in particular, um, Remembrance Sunday in the UK and Veterans Day in America, um, I think we've got the balance right. I think um, I think Anzac Day is 
of such importance to Australians that that should always be the the, the main day that we commemorate. We're, we're kind of lucky in a way that we have a bonus day to, to remember the Anzacs as well. But no, I think the balance is, is probably right. Um, commemorating the end of the First World War is, is not particularly relevant. 100 years down the track, you know, it's not going to engage people and people aren't going to get excited about it in the way they would have in 1938, for example, or 1940. Um, so, no, I think it's right that, that we remember that, um, you know, that landing at Gallipoli and that iconic first, um, you know, first big moment on the on the world stage for Australia. Um, yeah, I, I always have a, a soft spot for Remembrance Day. I always take the time to pause. I'm always very busy on Remembrance Day, usually doing interviews and things, but I always try and take time to stop and think. But, no, I think... Um, I think Anzac Day deserves its place as the as the big brother. Yeah, no, I, I think you've answered that uh, quite well because um, I, I really feel that um, Anzac Day is it's our national day, and and when when I was overseas in 2015, and I said to people, they said, "Oh, where have you? You know, where did you come from from your first like f- to to get to here, in England?" And I said, oh, "I was at uh, the centenary of Anzac Day at Gallipoli." And they said, "Well, what's Anzac Day?" And I said, "Well, uh, I had to explain to them that it's our it's our national day that we remember um, the the landings on the beach at Gallipoli on the 25th of April in 1915." And they said, "Oh, wow! You know, it's it's a special day." I said, "Yeah, well, it's a day that we commemorate the men that fought and died there, but it's it's all wars. It's all." Um, and I think that we're very lucky as a nation that we do and the, to have the foresight to to have a day like that and to and to bring it in in 1916. I think it's been a day that's been passed on through generation through generation, and I, I really hope into the future that. I think it'll get bigger. I, I, I you know, the, I, I think that the, um, the, the last, when we were commemorating the First World War, there was numbers getting bigger and bigger each year. And, but I, I feel that now it's such a national day. But I think also too is, I feel that on Anzac Day, that it sometimes is remembered in the wrong way. Um, people just think it's a, it's a, it's an excuse to have a, a public holiday, go to the pub, have a beer and play two up and not, not go and engage in a service, go to a service. I think it's, I, I may, I might be, um, I might be controversial here. I, I feel that it's, um, especially for me who had family members fight and die for our, for us to have our freedom. I, I feel that it's, uh, if you've, if you can go to a pub, you can go to a service. If it, I think that it's something that we all should, you know, we should all go to a service and then, and then go out afterwards and catch up with your mates. I, I, I feel maybe that we've, People have gone too far and forgotten what the Anz- what Anzac Day is about. What? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested to know from your perspective, Adam. Um, do your mates respond to that message? Like, you're a young person who is very passionate about it, which is unusual. Most people your age aren't that interested in it. When you say to your mates you should go to a service, do they tell you to bugger off, or do yeah. they do they get the do they get the idea? No, they they tell me, oh, you know, no, you know, you're just you're just obsessed with it, you know, <laughs> and it's it it is a um it's a constant thing that I do. Look, a lot of my mates do go to a service. They will go to a service, and then they they will go we will go and have a beer and play two up. Um, but, but some of my mates, um, just go, no, I don't, some don't engage at all. Some don't go to the pub, which, you know, it's fine, but, um, I do get told from some of my mates, oh God, you know, you, you really do, you know, you, but I just feel it's important. Not, not, not just because my family, um, serve, but I think it's all families, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, um, you know, to go and actually, um, do a service is um, and stand at a service. Go to dawn service, and it it's it's just remembering the men and women that have fought and died for our country. And I I just think for us to do that small, it's it's not a big sacrifice. Getting up at you know five thirty in the morning and going to a dawn service at six o'clock, it's really not. I I don't see it as a problem. Um, but I do feel that some of my friends they like you said earlier they. 
they don't care for it. They couldn't care. It it doesn't affect them. So you know, why do we bother? And I think that's where I, some of my mates are, are fantastic and engage really well, and others don't. So I think that to your question, Matt, that's the response that I pretty well get from um, some of my mates, and then some which. You know, I don't think, um, you know, we're all individuals. We're all, um, you know, I, I, I guess, um, we've all got different, um, interpretations and understandings and what, what something means to one person doesn't mean to another. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's personal choice. It's up to the individual whether they want to go or whether they don't want to go, plain and simple. So, yeah, look, I agree. And I think it reflects even the nature of the Anzacs themselves. You know, we, we, try very hard to to make them two-dimensional and say that they're all the same but you know 400,000 blokes served during the first world war and you know close to a million people served during the second world war so in any big that's a society in its own right in any society like that you're going to get all different characters and we saw that with the veterans themselves some of them turned out on Anzac Day it was their favorite day of the year a lot of them never went to a service in their entire life they wanted to put it behind them so you know I think what I think you're right. What we see is a reflection of what's always been the case, that it's, it's important to some people and it's absolutely not important to other people, and that's fair enough. Mm, no, I think I think you're right. and um, But I, I just hope that it, uh, the the new the younger generations that are coming through um that if they as you said with the multiculturalism of our country i i hope that we i hope that we don't just as as um australians shut off the the if if they want to come and engage in Anzac Day absolutely come come and engage you know be part of be part of it and you know i i think that that's the future of um Anzac Day and you know that um like you said it's it's a really uh, in the next, you know, whatever we've got veterans of um, World War Two, which are going at an alarming rate, Vietnam, I'm sure Anzac Day will continue because we've got the uh, recent conflicts of, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, but as you say, in the future, there might not be wars. So will it be in 100 years' time, will Anzac Day be as significant as it is now? Well, it could. We, we could almost view that as a good thing. If we ever reach a point where the concept of going off to war becomes so alien to people because we live in a time of peace, then that in many ways will be a good thing. If we can, if we can ever reach a time where we have a final nod to the Anzacs, thank them, respect them, and then move on in a new direction because it's just not relevant anymore, that may well be a very good thing. But as you say, you, you, you said it well, Adam, that the... It's how to engage with people is the question. And and let's be honest, the study of history is often quite boring. It, traditionally, it's been very boring. You say to someone you're a historian and they get they don't get all excited. You know, it's it's how to engage with those young people. And in lots of ways, you and I are preaching to the choir. You know, the, who is going to listen to this podcast? I, I, I almost guarantee you're not going to get any new arrivals in Australia that are going to be rushing out to download a podcast about Anzac history. There's not going to be many 14-year-olds who are busy on Insta who are going to pause to go and download a podcast about Anzac history. You know, we are preaching to the converted. So the challenge is how do we engage? It is important that we at least try to engage with different types of people who, who may not be aware of the what is a wonderful story of Anzac history. And the, the, the challenge for all of us, and I ask all my friends at the War Memorial and everyone's got the same question, how do you do it? You know, how do you keep young people engaged? How do you keep new arrivals engaged? How, how do you keep future Australians engaged? That's the big challenge for us all. That's right. And I think it's... It's a question that um, we'll, we will continue into the future of, of asking. I, I don't think, I don't think there there is an answer. I, I think it's just. Um, I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing. I think um, you know. I think when like um, getting new audience with you know uh, podcasts, and I think that you know engaging with the audience in in the best way we can. I mean, you're right. Who you know, you and I could just be talking to each other, but it's 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 a great chat. You know, it's it's been fa- it's been fantastic. Um, but you know, it could just be you and me and that's the audience, but you know, it, it's, it's great to sit and have a discussion, you know, and, and talk about these, um, things that were a hundred years ago, but they're still as I, I feel and you know, I'm biased. I feel 
um, as relevant today as they were a hundred years ago. So I think I think you're right, Matt, and I think that um, it's I think that's a good way to end the podcast. I think, and I think we'll uh, we'll definitely have you back on, Matt, because it's I've got some there's some absolute more questions that I've got for you and fascinating things that I'd, I'd like to um, discuss with you. You know, uh, we've only just touched on the surface and I'd like to definitely get you back on and talk about the Western Front and obviously Gallipoli and and um, more into the... I know you and I have got... Um, I'll be on the World War Two cruise with you coming up next year in August, which that's a part of... Uh, I'm actually learning something new myself because... I've focused a lot on my family um, history of World War One in the last four, last five years, and now I'm looking into when my grandfather fought in Dutch New Guinea, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you and the other historians on the cruise and actually engaging in World War Two history and learning new something that I've I've I know not a lot about, and I'm I'm really looking forward to discovering. Um, about the second world war so i think i think it's you know be thankful be grateful and be and remember and um all take time and be um thankful for the what's happened over the last five years or sorry four years with um with world war one but now i think we do we we have to do a service to the world war two veterans to now tell their story i think that and um, I think that it's something that we that I'm really excited and looking forward to going forward into the future with. Yeah, mate, thank you for that, and I I agree. I think that there were a lot of important 75th anniversaries that occurred, um, 75th anniversaries of World War Two battles that occurred during the centenary years of the First World War, uh, and I think some of them got missed a little bit because of the um, everything that was going on with the First World War. But no, it's important. You know, it's been great to come on, and I'm, I'd I'd love to come back and talk more about it because it's important what you're doing, keeping this memory alive. So. Um, no, it's been great to be on the show. No, cheers, Matt. Thank you very much. I appreciate you giving the time and, and having a chat with me today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.